You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and what follows is a conversation between myself and Josh from the outfit Malcura. Malcura are an outstanding flamenco-based outfit from Melbourne. They do have a tour of Queensland and northern New South Wales coming up, so I'm going to read out a few of the dates that they've got. On October the 5th, they are playing the Ether at Milton. October the 6th, they have two shows. One's at Land and Sea Brewery on the Sunshine Coast at Nooseville during the daytime. I'll probably be at that one. And at King Lear's Throne in the Valley in the evening. It's a 10 p.m. start. October the 7th, the final show is at the Byron Bay Guitar Festival. Do get along to them if you happen to live locally. Really enjoyed this conversation, so let's have a listen to what Josh has to say. Here we go. Hey, mate. Andy Bikai-Smith calling. How are you going? Uh, yeah, good. How are you going? Good, mate. Good, good. What's been happening? Oh, yeah, not a lot. I've just been practicing guitar, and um, yeah, I'm just in this little, like sort of rehearsal space, and um, yeah, I just got a bit carried away and just sort of looked at the time, and I was like, holy shit! And, <laughs> no yeah, drums. It was like an on air, like yeah, I thought it was like a live to air thing, so I like freaked out and. Um, no, yeah, you're good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to anybody. Don't worry. They're too stressful, those interviews, those bloody live-to-air things too. Plus, you don't feel... Uh, I've never done one, to be honest, but this is the feedback I've been given from people that, that have done them. Um, you feel constricted because you're not really sure about what to say and when to say, and oftentimes you've got to say things that are not safe for work, and that doesn't actually make for a good conversation a lot of the time. Yeah, that's that's good call. You know, so, uh, yeah, most of um, my stuff is... Uh, so I do have a show on 4ZZZ, uh, community radio here in Brisbane, which is similar, I think, to what you guys have got down there, which is Triple R, Three Triple R. Yeah. And uh, of course, I've got my podcast series, um, and I'm thinking about putting things onto YouTube, but I'm not sure yet about doing that because um, it seems like everybody else does it for me without telling me all my permissions. So what can I say, man? People just do. Yeah. It. Uh, you you experienced yeah. that with your music, no doubt. I just sort of put it out there and. Mate, it's only karma bucks that we get paid for doing this effectively, isn't it? But uh, first and foremost, I'm a big fan yeah. of uh, music, and I'm a big fan of the music that, that you're making here, actually. Um, All right. The, um, yeah, thanks. The, you, you've read my Paco de Lucia blog entry, let's call it that. So I really I really admire um, the guitar playing that you're doing. I really do, because I can't do it. I play guitar and I play bass as well, but uh, flamenco is something that's a bit beyond me. Which is interesting for me because uh, I have Spanish heritage. It's very faint, but it's there. And I remember going to see a um, like a holistic doctor. I wouldn't call him a naturopath, but a holistic doctor many years ago who looked in my ear canal, and he goes, "You've got Spanish heritage." No, what do you know? He first of all he goes, "You play guitar, don't you?" I said, "Yes, that's correct." And he goes, "I can tell that you've got Spanish heritage because of your middle ear. It's a certain shape." And um, and I thought, well, there you go. Um, it must have come out somehow. I, I'm not as accomplished as you, that's for sure. But uh, I try. <laughs> I do try. But <laughs> you know, but yeah. that'll be yeah. my that'll be my first question, mate, for you. It's an obvious one. Yeah. What yeah. got you started? Because what you're doing, as I've already mentioned, it's not easy. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a pretty complicated and in-depth style flamenco. And we certainly don't play a traditional flamenco style. It's very warped and influenced by a number of other styles, including rock and metal. Um, but the way I got started was at a pretty young age, as most, I guess, most guitarists. Um, 
my mum's a music teacher and my dad is, owns a guitar store, which is what I'm sitting in right now. Right. And so I guess I, you know, music was a, a big part of my life um, growing up already. But um, I didn't really, I actually had no interest in guitar whatsoever until the age of about 11. Um, yeah, I just didn't really, um, yeah, it wasn't interesting. I gave it a few shots a couple of times and I just thought it was too hard. And so I just didn't want to, didn't want to go near guitar really. Um, but then it wasn't until about, yeah, grade, grade five or grade six, which is, I guess, yeah, sort of roughly the age of 10 or 11. Um, I started getting into music more. My, um, my friends, older brothers were all, you know, into the like metal and extreme side of metal. And, um, and I was kind of into horror movies. So, you know, um, that kind of, you know, gelled with me. I just sort of found it a bit, um, I found it a bit like dark and I thought of, I felt like it was this like almost, you know, mysterious like style music that was, mm -hmm. you know, just more, I guess more interesting than what I was listening to at the time, which was just like, just general, I was listening to like Eminem and, you know, whatever the general. Yeah, whatever's on the radio was. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it wasn't long after that that I got into like bands like Pantera. Um, they they were the ones that really kicked it off for me at awesome. the start. And um, yeah, and um, I found myself coming home from school and picking up all Dad's guitars and just pretending to that I could play them. And um, and then it wasn't long after that that I asked I asked my dad if I could get lessons at, at the at the shop. Um, and then after that. Uh, a few years of uh, playing guitar, I dad, my dad put me onto a, a different guitar teacher. His name was uh, Yossi Admin, mm. and he was a little bit more trained in the classical and flamenco styles, but generally, you know, an all-round guitarist that could cover all styles. And he started me off on just the you know basics like Beatles and Rolling Stones and. Um, bit of music theory and all that, but uh, yeah, around the around year twelve, um, he put me onto a band called Rodrigo and Gabriella, mm -hmm. and he also put that same band onto one of his other students, um, Steve, who plays also plays in Malcura, and who I also went to school with, and he taught us uh, two different parts of the same song. So he taught Steve the rhythm part of a song called Tamakun by Rodrigo and Gabriella. Mm -hmm. He taught me the lead parts. And then, yeah, one lesson, he just brought us together and um, he just said, you know, that song I've been showing you, well, I taught you one part, taught you the other part, so now you guys can play that song together. And, um, yeah, and then we we played it together and then we thought it was uh, amazing and and uh, we started doing a few sort of like school-type gigs, you know, um, yep. just playing that song and, and we put a few others together. Uh, and then, yeah, it wasn't long after that we started, you know, writing our own music in a similar style. We're both influenced by a band called Opeth as well. Of course, yep. So, yep. So they, um, yeah, they were a big influence on us. And so, yeah, it kind of melded into this Rodrigo and Gabriella meets Opeth style. And, um, yeah, and then it wasn't wasn't long after that that uh, one of our other friends from high school helped us record our first song in his in his bedroom, which became our first demo. And because he helped us record it, he was familiar with all the parts in the song. Mm -hmm. 
And then at a, at a at a mate's, I think it was a friend's house party, um, there was just a drum kit and some guitars set up, and um, we ended up playing one of the songs that he helped us help record for us. And uh, yeah, he just jumped up on the drums, and um, yeah, and then it, and then from there it, it became a three piece. What it. What I'm hearing, so thank you very much for sending me up the CD because I've got kids, as I think I might have mentioned, and um, that's the medium in which we prefer to listen to music. We call it our morning music and also our evening music. So the guys at Intenso and Perth sent me over some stuff, and now you sent me up your beautiful CD, and we we have been listening to that quite a bit, I must say. They're enjoying it. So that's it's really cool for me to be able to connect with my kids through music that people send to me. I really enjoy doing that. So I couldn't name... The songs by track, but what I'm hearing, yes, it's accomplished guitar playing. Yes, you've got a lot of talent, but I've been playing music myself for close to 25 years at this point, as in actively performing, actively trying to do things with it, performing in bands with other people, that sort of thing. I'm hearing thousands of hours worth of rehearsal there. So how have you maintained the discipline to refine your craft? Oh, it's a great, great question. Um, that, that would be to do with the, all the busking that we did, um, okay, yeah. about la- last, last year. Yeah. Yeah. We did heaps of busking in, um, Burke street mall in, in Melbourne, which is a bit of a sort of hot spot, um, mm. for busking. Uh, a lot of, a lot of bands of, and artists have come out of there. Um, probably the most notable of, of recent times is Tash Sultana. Um, she yes. was, she was, she actually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's kind of exploded now. Um, she actually got her license for Burke Street Mall on the same day that we did, um, about two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, once we got our license, we were busking probably three, four, maybe even more, up to five times a week um, in Burke Street there. And that was a, a good bit of income we were selling quite a few cds and making a bit of coin but at the same time we were just playing the same songs over and over again and we just got so tight as a band Hmm. that um we almost we almost got bored of like um the songs we're playing it actually forced us to to keep writing songs um but that's that's definitely where the um the tight the tightness of our band comes from is um was busking on the streets um, but after doing that for about two years straight, we really didn't hit it quite hard. We decided to we decided to give it a break last year and mm-hmm. focus more on um, writing more music because we found we just we were so tired after all our you know busking that we ended up not writing that much music. So we took a break from it and then we ended up writing an entire album plus no probably two albums worth actually and and then we. In, the, in our time not busking, we put that all our energy into organising tours and mm. um, yeah, just writing more music. So that's that's kind of what we've been up to the last year um, is just yeah, recording a, an album and touring quite a lot. Yeah, I'm looking at um, one of your YouTube videos has garnered 3.2 million bloody views, and that's that's up there with some of Beyonce's material. That's far beyond <laughs> what a lot of these sort of, you know, when I say gimmicks, you know what I mean. I'm not saying what you're doing is a gimmick at all. I'm definitely not saying that. But you know, this is yeah. this is oh, what this is what people aspire to achieve, and you you've done it. So has that has that 
led to you being able to procure something of an income from YouTube? Because that's a hell of a lot of views. Well, it's funny. That particular video was just taken by a passerby on the, on their um, iPhone mm. um, without us having any idea that they were even recording it. And, yeah, that video has been actually, was actually up there for a few years and we were aware of it. And it only had a couple of thousand views. And then it happened literally in about a week's seven days it just went from a few thousand to um 20,000 and then it just jumped up to 100 then it got to a million yeah it went viral yeah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it just went viral mm. without us even realizing um so that that video is actually owned by someone else and then that's oh, bummer. Mm. that's going through their yeah it's going through their channel Jesus, but yeah. we're getting a lot of um yeah we're getting a lot of um you know sort of uh, we're getting a lot of traffic through it through our um, YouTube, um, and we've got that song that that video went viral for was a song by. Uh, it was a song on the video game Zelda. Yeah, that's what I'm reading in the comments section. I didn't know that because I'm not a gamer, but obviously people reading, uh, making comments are aware of that. So that's a really good link actually because there's a couple of things going on here. You are someone who has a fine appreciation for heavy metal. You're an excellent flamenco guitarist. But you've also got this other angle, which is that a lot of shitload of people out there like gaming. So you're giving them an angle to get into flamenco through gaming. And I don't think anybody, not that I'm aware anyway, I certainly haven't done a lot of deep diving, but I can't imagine anybody else would be doing that. So have you thought of expanding on that? Oh, definitely, yeah. We've um. Uh, we've got we've got that particular song, you know, professionally recorded, which is going to be on our um, next album. We're going to do a proper music video for it. Probably going to do like a T-shirt that has Zelda um, in oh, Malkura, sorry, written in the Zelda font. Hmm. Um, but we definitely we definitely want to do some more of that. Um, we 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 actually got the Tetris theme as a one of our covers recently. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, going into the whole video game world through Flamenco um, is definitely something we want to expand upon. We haven't we haven't really got too many other songs uh, organized yet for that, but, you know, obviously there's a massive pot of uh, songs to choose from. What's well, people have got all this time on their hands and they, they go onto social media, including YouTube. I'm going to lump that in with all the other social media platforms. And, yeah. y- you know, people... They take things, meaning that they take illicit substances and they're drinking and all this sort of stuff when they're doing it. So they're they're really deep diving. Yeah. Is my point. So I want to make make my final refine my point here. They're deep diving, and and a lot of these people are looking for things that they can relate to. And Zelda's an enormously popular game, massive game. So it's yeah. it's such a smart thing to do, and it gives people an opportunity to get into flamenco. So in a way, you become guides or teachers if you like in that same breath in that same moment yeah yeah absolutely um i think uh getting into that style of music through something familiar like video games which um which is you know such a huge such a huge medium like pretty sure it outsells books and movies Mm. you know big time it does yeah pretty massive way yeah um, I think I, I was reading only recently um, the, those Call of Duty games are selling like 100 million units every release, which is just dwarfs even you know the highest selling records yeah. of all time, and that's just for one game. So 
Yeah, um, playing. We're, we're big gamers ourselves, so Steve and I. People are going to latch on to, and those ones like uh, Gerudo Valley, they're, um, they're, you know, iconic, but also familiar and and catchy and songs that are easily transferable into like a flamenco style. That that song Gerudo Valley in itself is like a Spanish, it's a Spanish standard really, the chords that you play yep. and then just melodies that, that flow underneath it. But, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean we have to try and pluck out all the Spanish standard video game themes that are out there. We um we can just melt melt it or mold it into our own style. Have you thought about doing things like TV show themes and also covers of popular songs like "You're the Voice" by Johnny Farnham or uh, "Locomotion" by Kylie? Oh yeah, yeah. We get we get asked to do um "You're the Voice" pretty often actually. Um, yep. "You're the Voice" and a uh, bit of bit of casein. Yep. Um, um, but it's what yeah, people we're, want, we're, right, isn't it? It's what people out there, if you guys are very accomplished players and you've got your head around what it is that you're trying to, what, what it is that you're doing, and people are really obviously curious about what you guys are doing at the same token. So, man, I'd just say go for it. It's almost like you've almost got an unlimited application. You've got the musicianship there. You're a very tight outfit. It's really the world's your oyster with this stuff, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. We've 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 got probably a, we've got a, probably about forty to fifty songs all up, um, and probably about fifteen of those are all are all covers that we've learnt uh, along the way. We, we play a lot of uh, weddings and private functions, in addition to all the you know touring and regular kind of pub and and festival shows that we do. Mm. And for the for the festivals. Um, so for the weddings and the private functions, we've often got to learn specific songs, uh, which gives us yeah tons of ammo to you know those songs just ended up becoming part of our overall repertoire. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we've we've got quite a few covers. We've got everything from Chaka Khan's "Ain't Nobody." Nice. We've got yep. Michael Jackson's uh, yeah Michael Jackson's "Smooth Criminal." Um, Oh, Rolling Stones, Painted Black, which we've we've actually mm-hmm. recorded that already. Um, the James Bond theme, we've got that. Um, that's also been professionally recorded. That's just waiting for a, just waiting for a um, final master and maybe to do a music video along with it. So we've got we've got quite a lot of stuff up our sleeves, and the last year has really just seen us go from from busking and transition over into, all right, well. You know, we've, we're tight musicians. We've come up with a few good covers and some mm. good originals. Let's let's um, record it all and record it properly and put it all into action. So we're hoping the next year sees us release a lot of that stuff. Um, we've, we've also we've also learnt a lot as musicians and I guess entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, all of us playing different bands. Yeah. And we've just learned a lot about the industry, and also we've all released our own albums via our other bands as well as through Malcura. And we've learned a lot about how to release a record, and you know what what you should do to get your music heard. And we want to put that all into action in this uh, in this next record. So we are taking our time with it. We're not rushing anything, which is what happened with the last release. We um. 
we ended up rushing it and it didn't really get the attention that um, we we wanted it to have. Um, this is the CD so that you sent to me, the same album that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, okay, that album really? there. Yeah, okay. That, yeah. That yeah, surprises the, um, me because it's it's got it all going for it. It's uh, sorry, I know you're about to say something, but I, I want to make this point. The other thing, just whilst we've yep. been talking, I don't I don't know how you do it, okay? But there's got to be a way on because you see these bloody bands and musicians on there, and you wonder how the hell did they get on. But on Sunrise, and on you know the the the, the commercial yep. TV stations, they have these people going on and performing just segments. And you think, how the hell did they get on there? They're not even that good. Half of these people, they're just just pop shit, a lot of it. Yeah. But you guys are, are real. It's real music. It's stuff that has taken tens of thousands of hours of practice to actually get to a point to 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 master. And you're near there. If you're not already there, you're near there. So have you thought about approaching... I'm just picking a name here. I don't know how you'd even get in touch with Waleed from the project or something like that and saying, because he's a musician. Okay, and people like that would be very receptive, I think, to what you guys are doing here and to giving you guys an opportunity. So have you thought about going and performing for a live television audience? Oh, look, we, we have. I think we have. We just haven't really... We've been so busy playing shows and organising tours and recording. Um, and, you know, we've all got other jobs on the side to keep us going, and we've all got other bands... That sort of thing has definitely crossed our minds and it's something that we're hundred percent keen to do. Um, I guess we just have never have never really set our sights on it. I think if we if we said, you know, let's let's really aim for this and make this happen, we could probably try and try and work work the right angles to make it happen. But yeah, I guess it's um it's something that um something that we've overlooked probably that is definitely a great opportunity if we can if we can get it out. If we can get it, yeah. Well, look with the greatest of mate, with the greatest of respect to the other stuff that you're doing. I think I read your bio and you mentioned in the bio you were in a nihilist. Uh, no doubt, yeah, all good stuff. Okay, but I'd really implore you to double down on what you're doing here with Melcura. I really would because this is shit people need to hear. I, in particular, think you'd be very successful in North America, the North American market, if you guys were to just yeah. make a decision and just bugger it, we're going to go over there for as long as a working visa as we can possibly obtain. It might be 90 days or whatever it might be. I have a feeling, just using my intuition here and I suppose a bit of projection on what I'd like to see happen for you guys, but I have a feeling someone's going to hear you guys and go, this is somebody we'd like to partner with and that we can work with. You know that? Um, I'd, I'd do that if I were you guys. You know, you've, you've, done the, you've done the hard yards, man. I'm looking at these videos as we're talking. I'm scrolling through this and there's a lot of videos here of you guys busking. People are going to see that, so you're not afraid of performing. And a lot of artists are very afraid of performing and actually putting on a show. And this one here, this, I hope I pronounced this correctly, Gerudo Valley, this Legend of Zelda cover. You guys are just sitting there, but it's a performance. There's a lot going on. It's very animated. And there's this excellent video here, uh, uh, Palace. Is it Palais or Palace? Uh which oh, is Palais. Palais, sorry. Yeah, you got that one there. Yeah, you've got the performance side of it down, Pat. Even though you're sitting down, there's it's actually very engaging content. You're actually... I'm, sp I'm not even speaking as a musician here. I'm speaking as someone who likes to watch things where musicians are performing. 
there's actually a lot going on, and you, you're looking at the fingers, and with the busking, people are walking past. But even there, they've you know they've got busy lives and shit going on in their days, and kids need to get to school or whatever it might be. But they're stopping and not they're looking at you guys as as they're as you're performing. So you're getting people's attention. Have you re- have you looked at the videos and really sort of looked at the detail in the video and ha- seen how people are looking at you guys as they're walking past? Yeah, yeah, I guess we have. We just like. I guess um, yeah, I guess it just it just became normal after a while. Um, you know, that much busking, we just didn't didn't think of, didn't, didn't think about it that much anymore. But um, it's a good observation. Yeah, I look. I'm, I've got an eye for detail, and and I, I do notice things like that. I've done so many performances, mate. I know whenever we've got a crowd, we're in, we're, we're, we're when the band that I'm in is being entertaining, or whether we're just pissing people off. Put it that way by being up on there and just taking away from them looking at stupid videos on YouTube or whatever it might be whilst they're at the pub. You know, I'm very in tune with those sort of things because I do believe a performance needs to be that no matter what you're doing and no matter where you are. But you guys, because it's one of those uh, situations with you guys where you really just turn up and just be yourselves and that's entertaining enough. You don't need to do any of the hooping and hollering and the the crowd engagement that I think every a lot of other musicians and bands need to do because it's all in what you were doing courtesy of the music and the technique you need to deploy through the music. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's true. We've, I think we've, um, we've almost had a bit of an identity crisis um, sometimes because, you know, we, we all come from a bit of a metal and rock background. Yeah. So when we get up there, we, we often feel the, yeah, we feel the need to rock out a lot. Um, but then you do look at like artists like um, Paco Del Cia who, you know, they don't know, they don't rock out. They just, their playing is so good. You don't go there to watch them frolic about on stage. You watch them there to, to play the music that they, that they wrote. So we're sort of like stuck between two worlds. Um, there a bit sometimes, but we probably do need to realize that, um, or acknowledge that we, we're good musicians and that sometimes we should just let the music speak for itself and the playing speak, speak for itself sometimes. Yeah, look, and look, I hate to sound like as I'm constantly giving you advice here, but it's just there's all these things that are coming to me whilst I'm talking to you and also having spent some time listening to your music. But, you know, the other thing, I'd, I'd probably ditch the the heavy moniker associated with it as well because you might put people off, people who would otherwise get yeah. into your music. And that was the thing that I first noticed. I've got you. Yeah, so thank you for the sticker as well. That's proudly stuck on the back of my Apple Mac here that I'm using for everybody to see when I'm at uni as well. So uh, (laughs) it has been put to good use, and uh, my kids have put the other one somewhere around the house. I'll no doubt find it somewhere in the coming weeks. Um, But um, I noticed that it said heavy flamenco. Fair enough if that's the way you want to pitch it, but I think it's beyond that. I think this is just wonderfully... um, It's very engaging, and I've used that word a little bit during this conversation, but it's very engaging flamenco music that somebody who isn't into flamenco music can easily latch onto. Mate, and that's that's bloody hard to do for flamenco. Whilst I might like, whilst both you and I are big fans of Paco's playing, to the average person who doesn't appreciate the guitar the way that you and I do, I've done it, mate. I've had mates over, and I've showed them Paco, and they're like, yeah, it just sounds like one of those... Spanish guys who's really good on the guitar playing. It's like, no, it's deeper than that. This is his voice. There's a lot of emotion in what he's yeah. what he's talking. What, what he's it, that's his voice. He's talking through his guitar. But a lot of people don't quite understand that. But with with your stuff, it's it's immediate. 
it's immediate. It doesn't take two minutes to get into it. Just it's right there. It's there straight away. So have you thought about, um, and it sounds like you might have actually when you, when you talk, I think you mentioned you, not an identity crisis, but you know, you're in metal bands and you're, you're heavy rock fans, as I am too, by the way. But, but have you thought about just ditching all of that imagery and just going, we're just a, just, I'll just use this term, a pop flamenco outfit who, who, and we love playing flamenco and this is what we do and have associated branding around that? Um, I think we have. I think we, we were going for a bit of a world music angle for a while, which um, didn't really stick. Uh, and we've never really known what to call ourselves. You know, we, uh, the heavy flamenco thing is, is almost just a phase that we couldn't come up with anything else. And a few people had, had called us that before, so we kind of just went with that. But that's not that's not at all what we, you know, call our genre or anything. We, we got no idea what to call our genre of music. It's always... You know, with, with a nihilist mother band, mm. it's just easy. It's just metal, or it's just it's death metal. But, but this, it's, it's just uh, yeah, you're always scratching your head. You know, what what the hell do we call this? Because it's not really it's not really flamenco. It's like some new age catchy acoustic Spanish guitar flamenco version. Well, what do um what do Rodrigo and Gabriela? Call the music that they play because I, I would have I would have said yours like theirs is flamenco. It's just nouveau flamenco. Yeah, but they, they yeah they don't they really distance themselves from calling their music flamenco and they they try to tell people that they're influenced by flamenco and it's got flamenco techniques, but it's it's um they reckon their music's far removed from what traditional flamenco music is supposed to sound like. So they they, they generally call themselves more acoustic rock. Which um, I think you know, when you say acoustic rock, I feel like that doesn't really represent what we're doing. No, that's that's like well. Days of the New and Alison Chains's acoustic album. That's acoustic rock. Yeah, look, I mean, look, feel free to <laughs> disagree if you like, but to me, as a fan, it's flamenco. It might be a a strain of flamenco, and it's certainly very different to what Parco's doing. And you're not necessarily doing it in a band environment like what a lot of Parco's latter-day stuff was when he was doing... I know Sirocco was a very good album. That was really just him doing that. But some of the other stuff, and I, I know I talked about the bass player that he worked with quite a bit, um, with uh, Cameron, the singer. Uh, God, the names escape me. I'm sorry, I'm not a Spanish native, so I can't remember the names. I know I can see it visually, but I can't actually pronounce the bloody name. But... Uh, it's it's not not that nouveau flamenco style that incorporates elements of uh, bass playing and and uh, traditional rock instrumentation, if you like. It's a lot closer, man, than probably what you might think to traditional flamenco. Your stuff, but I, I understand your point completely. You're trying to be authentic, which I think is very noble. But to the average person, man, who uh, hears you for the first time, dare I say it, man, they're going to say you're flamenco. So it might be an idea yeah. just to brand it that way and then come what may, let people disagree with you and idiots online call you out and go, that's not flamenco, this is flamenco, and put some response underneath your video, but who gives a shit about them? You know, they're, they're like yeah. the one in one in 10,000 respondees. You know, you only ever hear, you only ever get critical feedback from people who who have an axe to grind anyway. Everybody else is just too busy enjoying your wonderful music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's great feedback. I think, you know, we, we need to have these conversations with people and get some perspective because, yeah, we're often not sure because I guess, yeah, the, the, the majority of people we play to are all just your regular 
regular people really. They're um they're the type of people that might not necessarily um be running out to shows or um listening to, you know, flamenco music on an everyday basis. But um but yeah, they, they often click with our music and, and, and it's pretty you know, we write some pretty catchy melodies and whatnot, so Indeed. it's always a good yeah, it's always a a good hook for people's ear. Um, and uh, who doesn't like the you know sound of Spanish guitar progressions? Oh, they're beautiful. They're, they're stunning. It's uh, it's music that to me really suits Queensland, where I'm from. Obviously, uh, it's music that suits the Sunshine Coast. It suits the Gold Coast. I know you're playing in Brisbane fairly soon, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But it's uh, yeah, man. I mean, you, you you tour up here, so you're taking. What's the, are you playing Black Bear Lodge or whereabouts are you playing? Um, we're playing, uh, we're playing at a brewery called the Etho on the Friday night, um, in Milton, in, in Brisbane. Okay. And then on Saturday, yes, um, no, we're playing, um, you might be thinking of, um, now we're, we're playing in Sunshine Coast, we're playing the Land and Sea Brewery, and then Saturday night we're playing at, um, King Lear's Throne in um, uh-huh. Fortitude Valley. Yeah, Valley. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. Oh, that's probably what you're thinking. Yeah, King Lear's yeah. Throne. I'm going to yep. try. I will. It's very hard for me to get out, man, with the kids and everything else I've got going on, but you're definitely one act that I want to see live. I'd love to see what you guys are doing live over a couple of beverages. So I'll definitely try to get to the King Lear's Throne gig or the Sunshine Coast gig, actually, because um, I divide my time between the Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast. And um, but Brisbane's just centrally located, so it's easy for me to get into there. But uh, I think the King Lear's Throne gig might be the one that I get into. What date is that one on? That's on the sixth of October. That's a, that's a late start. That one too, actually. That's a ten pm start. That's fantastic. That's even better. That one there. The kids go to sleep by then. So um, <laughs> yeah, six yeah. is it? Oh, I I, I, what's the uh, the Sunshine Coast date? That you've got? Uh, that's the same day as King Lear's, so that's October 6th as well. But that one's earlier in the day, that's a 3 pm start. You'll actually probably see me there because I'm up at the Sunshine Coast on the 6th. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, I might actually get to go to that one there. So I'll check out some details and, and online. And before I post this, I'll uh, make sure that everybody is aware of the dates that you've got. But uh, who are you playing with as well? What's the bill look like? Well, um, we're actually those. The first three shows we're playing. That's just all us. They're um, they're sort of you know three forty-five minute set type gigs. So we haven't got any other bands playing with us. Um, so yeah, the ether on the Friday. That's I think two or three sets. Um, and then same with Land and Sea Brewery on the Saturday. And then King Lears will just be playing uh, at least two sets uh, on our own. And then, but then the, on the Sunday, on the seventh of October, we're playing the Byron Bay Guitar Festival, hmm. which has got um, that's got British India and Ash Grunwald and the, um, Jeff Martin from the Tea Party. Um, good old Jeff. Yes, say good day to him. I had a, had a conversation with him only recently. Actually, not a bad guy. Uh, oh right, yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, he lives locally. Actually, and he lives then, in yeah. northern New South Wales these days. He's Canadian, but of course, as you're no doubt aware, but he lives locally. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought he lived in Perth. 
He did. Yeah, he used to. Yeah, I only know that because I've worked with a drummer who's spent some time, I think, either working with him or playing a show on the same bill that he was on. So he was definitely over at Perth. Um, I think, oh, I can't remember what he mentioned to me, but I think the, the podcast episode's out there for anybody to listen to. But uh, I think he mentioned that he, his son was born here or his daughter was born here. And that's basically what kept him here. So better for us that we have a yeah. world-class musician like that yeah. available to perform on many gigs. I know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Okay, mate. No worries. Well, look, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I hope I haven't come across as a punisher, to be honest with you, because I don't usually do this, but I, I really do believe in your music. I really do, and um, I really appreciate you reaching yeah. out. You know, it's. Uh, I, I, I usually get, with, you know, with anybody listening, I no disrespect, but the heavy bands reaching out, and when I heard... When when you reached out, when I listened to your music and saw the videos online and stuff, I was really excited actually because it's music that I, I don't listen to a lot of heavy music in my own time. I do it for the purposes of reviews and interviews and the like. But when I'm listening to music by myself, it is Paco and stuff like what you guys are doing here that I do tend to put on in the car or in the background as I'm doing washing up and doing all of the uh, boring domestic stuff that you got to do when you're a dad. Um, but yeah, thanks for reaching yeah. out, mate. It's been a fascinating conversation. Oh man, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having us, and um, yeah, really appreciate uh, all your kind words. It's been been a really good chat. Um, it's really really interesting. Yeah, um, reaching out to you's uh, um, yeah, I had a radio yeah Parker Delacia article, and uh, yeah, it made me realise you know what the top person I was I was talking to you you know it's really. Really um, well written and very insightful. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty, yeah, it's pretty pretty excited to have this chat, especially when I yeah I saw you writing about Ralph Santola as well. It's just like, you know, two of my favourite styles, death metal and, and flamenco. Yes, um, same here, same here. So, yeah, Ralph was. I, I've had a couple of conversations with Ralph, as I mentioned in that blog entry, and I was really quite. Um, I can't be sad because I don't know him. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to overstate the case. I know it's the trend these days to go on social media and post pictures of yourself crying because somebody famous dies. But I really felt like I had a connection with Ralph when I was talking to him. And the emails, I read back over some of the emails that we exchanged between ourselves, and he was a bloody good guy. He was a damn good guy, actually. And I was really, uh, I was really disappointed that the God force that rules over everything decided to take him from us because he had plenty of excellent music in him still. And dare I say it, I'd, I love Deicide too, man, but he was better than playing in Deicide, I think, with all due respect, man. He was he was somebody who probably could have and should have had uh, world-class musicians around him. And uh, I, I think The Stench of Redemption is one of the greatest heavy metal albums ever recorded, but that's all because of him. Not because it's Deicide. That's just yeah. because of him. Yeah, you know. yeah, I do agree. That was um, that's my favorite Deicide album. And, um, I've never, I've never looked deeper into Ralph Santola's background. And um, honestly, you know, uh, Stench of Redemption's Deicide, Stench of Redemption is really my. You know, I don't listen to them that much. I've got a couple of their earlier albums, which I don't listen to as much. Um, but yeah, that article uh, that that you wrote. About Ralph was um yeah really interesting and you know eye opening. I guess there are probably a lot of you know excellent musicians out there that probably aren't. Uh, I guess what's what I'm looking for here um reaching their full potential. 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say that his recorded legacy... See, my view is that The Stench of Redemption is going to be one of those albums that in, say, 30 years' time, we're going to be listening to 12-year-old guitarists playing along to that album and mimicking his solos. You know how you see kids playing along to Slash's guitar solos from Use Your Illusion 1 or Appetite for Destruction these days? I reckon yeah. I reckon the genius of his performance on that album will be recognised in the years to come. And that's not because he's he's passed away. That's because... The performance on that, I'd never heard anything quite like it. And I'd been listening to, I was almost 30 when that album came out. So I'd been listening to heavy metal for a long time. And I uh, had probably glossed over it initially. It was when I saw them perform at the arena here, the Long Gone Arena venue here in Brisbane, and stood in front of Ralph. And I knew he was in death and I knew he had been in iced earth. And I thought, okay, well, listen to what he's got to do here. I, my, my jaw was on the floor most of the night, particularly because Jack Owen from Cannibal Corpse was on the other side of the stage too, locking everything down rhythmically. And Jack's a tremendous rhythm player. So you've got one of the best rhythm players in death metal with, in my view, the greatest lead guitarist death metal has ever seen on the one stage. And it yeah, was... It was crazy. Oh, it was, it was one of those things. I sort of get goosebumps looking back on it now because it'll never happen again, obviously. And I've seen a lot of shows before that. I've seen a lot of shows since then. And I, I can't think of a death metal band's performance that will ever surpass that one. And I, I think that they were just, uh, they certainly weren't phoning it in, but it wasn't it wasn't an, a performance where you could see that they were putting all of their hearts and soul into it because they don't need to. They're touring musicians and they've got to conserve energy for the plane flights and all the rest of it. But it was just such an impressive performance, particularly so because Ralph was note perfect. And I was listening for that. And it... it Listening to his his solo in um, Homage for Satan or Homage to Satan, that solo yeah. is all time. I've listened to Kevin. Is it Kevin Kirian, the guitarist that's currently in Deerside that actually replaced Ralph, but has now shifted across to rhythm because Mark English from Monstrosities joined Deerside, and there's a there's a video out there of Kevin Kirian trying to play Ralph's material. It's actually a a full blown yeah. professional posting. Like it's like bang it's it's not banger TV but it's one of those sort of channels that's recorded a Deerside show and with the greatest of respect to Kevin never spoken to him or what have you he can't do it it's it's he's very sloppy and he's missing notes and part of me thinks mate if I were you I'd ask for that to be taken down because it's the worst advertisement for his playing you could probably find but then again Ralph is probably one of the hardest soloists to follow I can't think of anybody that'd be harder outside of Ingve. Yeah right. That, that's um, really interesting. Was was Ralph on the um on the album before Stench of Redemption as well, or was was he? Did he come in on that album? No, he came in on that album. Scars of the Crucifix was the one prior to that. I think that was released in two thousand and four. That still had the Hoffman Brothers on it. Who? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The Hoffman Brothers thing was more of that death thrash thing. So to lock it down, and their solos were more like to me. They just sounded like Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman for their soloing. It wasn't anything to write home about. But obviously, being a big fan of guitar playing, I, I like soloing, and I implore anybody who can solo to solo and make it meaningful. But uh, when Ralph came in, it just changed the dynamic of Deer Side completely, and consequently, the three albums uh, that he he recorded on are. That they are so different to the rest of the DSI catalogue that they overshadow the rest of it. And I was a, but I'm an old fan. I'm like 1992 sort of stuff. 
So, so the Hoffman brothers to me were uh, that's the stuff I listened to when I was at school. So the Hoffman brothers were were masters as far as I'm concerned. I whenever anybody started going on about Slayer, I'd go, "Have you have you fucking heard the Hoffman brothers? They they're much better." Yeah. Um, but when Ralph came in, he just totally changed that dynamic, and now I actually find, to be completely frank, mate, that I can't really listen to the Hoffman brothers stuff. I much prefer the the Santola material, the Jack Owen Santola material. I just listen to that. I wouldn't say that often these days because I've basically worn out the stench of redemption. There's only so many times you can listen to an album before you uh, you're done. You know, I've done that with a few albums in my life, like Angel Dust from Faith No More, Pinkerton from Weezer, um, a couple of Primus albums. You know, I've I've done that a few times, but with that uh, stench of redemption album, mate, it was just one of those albums that I kept on. Fi- I constantly fi- found new things on it every time I was listening to it. And it was all down to Ralph. So uh, that's oh, yeah. that's why I was so inspired to reach out to him and have a chat to him. And the fact that he was a good bloke and he had a, he had to, I mean, I'm a, I'm a grand scheme of things, I'm a nobody. He was prepared to talk to me. He was prepared to talk to me twice. And we had really good conversations on, on both occasions. And I know I mentioned it in the blog, but just for people listening, what happened was the first conversation, he, I, he said that he wanted to have a listen to it. And there was nothing on there that was controversial. He spoke pretty frankly about what his thoughts and opinions were about people that he'd worked with through the years. John Schaefer and Ice Earth, Chuck Schuldina and Death, and of course Glenn Benton and the guys in Deerside. There was a bit of friction there, it's fair to say, but that's a part of public record. And he didn't want the first one released. He never told me why, though. And I'm not the guy to ask. If someone says to me that they don't want something released, I don't ask. It's just, that's that's I respect that, no problem. But what he did say was, let's have another conversation, so... Great. I got to spend, as it was, about two and a half hours talking to Ralph about his career and listening to his very funny stories about shit that he got up to whilst he was on tour and hanging around with Steve DiGiorgio from Sadis and from Death and the stuff that those two good dudes used to get up to. Um, and I was actually, I don't know whether this made it onto the podcast or which part of the conversation, mate, but I was very close to my very first foray into promote, promoting would have been to bring Ralph over for some guitar clinics because he was keen to do that. Yeah, it would have been wicked. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it, guys like you and I would get right into that. I just, I had no idea, A, how to do it. I've got more of an idea now on how to do it. But um, I, uh, I now I know guys like Dicey from Soundworks and the like as well. So I've got some pretty good connections in there that if ever I want to ask a question, I'm sure they would answer me if I asked a question because they know that I'm not an idiot and that I'm quite serious about these things. But um, yeah, it, I, I can't say I wish I would have acted sooner because I simply wasn't confident enough to do it at the time. But uh, had Ralph, uh, if he was still with us, I would definitely, he would have, he would have, he was the only person that I ever wanted to bring out and do something like that too. So it would have been the start of something big, I'm sure. But as it turns out, fate had other plans. Yeah, it's a, it's a damn shame. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know he passed away until I, I read your article. Um, I'm really um, I'm really intrigued though because I've always loved that particular record, but I've just never really dived into the rest of the downside catalogue or I, I didn't even realise that he was in Ice Earth and Death as well um, which Death albums did he perform? So that's that's a good point he didn't actually perform on any albums but he was around for Human, he did the tour I think uh, was it Human or was it Individual Thought Patterns um, he did the tour for one but he was on the bonus disc playing live 
Now, I'm trying to track that one down because you can find a lot of secondhand and you know, stuff on eBay and Amazon. But I, I'm trying to find the the copy of either human or individual thought patterns that are cut, that has a bonus disc of the album, not in full, but of, a t- of the tour off the back of that album being performed and Ralph actually performs on that, he was telling me. So I'd love to get a hold of that. But what I, what I really want to get a hold of is a mastered copy of Deerside's performances in 2006 or 2007 when he was at his prime, in my view. That's, uh, that's what I'd love to get a hold of. And I've got something which is a very... It sounds like it's been recorded on like a dictaphone or something. Like you wouldn't... You can't listen to it. It's almost impossible to listen to. I've been performing some show somewhere in Europe, but I'd love to get a copy of him performing on that Stench of Redemption tour and uh, all of the noodling and all of the things that he's doing on there. So I've, if anybody listening to this has a mastered copy of a performance, and I know there'd be some of the stuff out, and there'd be something... Somebody would have recorded it from a desk and it's sitting in their laptop as a file or in their cloud storage as a file. And if anybody wants to send that over to me, they have my absolute word. I wouldn't share it with anybody, but I'd love to own that. I'd love to have that to listen to just from time to time when, you know, those moments when you when you have a couple of beverages and you listen to your favorite music when the kids, in my case, when the kids have gone to bed and uh, the wife's busy working away or what have you and... Uh, I've got just an hour or so to myself. That's the sort of thing I'd love to put on then. So if anybody listening has got a copy of that, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. Good luck on your um, on your quest there. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Let us know if you do find it because I'd love to hear that as well. Yeah. Yeah. One bloke I would share it with actually. So it's uh. Yeah. Just just to backtrack, Ralph performed on three albums. So obviously, Stench of Redemption, and in two thousand and eight, there was Till Death Do Us Part. And a really good album was To Hell With God, but I understand that that album has, and Ralph didn't say this, I just know this from listening, reading interviews with Glenn Benton, there was a lot of friction between him and Glenn on that album. So I don't know whether we got the, the, the full Ralph experience on that one there, but uh, it's still a bloody good album, actually, To Hell With God. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not yeah, bad. Yeah, um, yeah, so many albums by so many bands, it's so, it's so hard to listen to everything. Um I do, so I've just always loved that album. I've always wanted to listen to more, but I just haven't got around to it. So, yeah, this might be the um, the kick up the arse I need to to go get those two el- two albums after Stench to listen to some more of Ralph's playing. He's got a... You can find his solo material. I think it's Shaolin Monks in the Temple of Metal. Yes, that's its name. Google that. I'll, I'll YouTube that. And you'll, he's got some solo material out there. And I believe, I could be wrong here, I believe there are CD copies floating around on eBay and on Amazon, if you're really interested as well. Shaolin Monks in the Temple of Metal. That's right, yep. 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 Cool, yeah, definitely check that out. He also was in Obituary as well, so uh, he he recorded... Oh, God, I'm not not a massive... I, I do like Obituary, but I just never really... Never really got into them that much uh, for some reason. I don't know why. It's there's no real reason. It was just one of those things. So he did. He did three. Yeah, bit, <laughs> yeah. Bit, but yeah, I was the same with Bitchery. Yeah, I don't know what it was out of out of the big four. So Morbid Angel, Trag Zagtoth, I love his guitar playing. Superb guitar player. Dear side, Morbid yeah. Angel and Cannibal Corpse. As when I was younger, I don't listen. To, I haven't listened to Cannibal Corpse as an adult. I got to say, it was more like when I was a teenager. Um. And I've never—I don't care about the lyrical themes, by the way. I get into the music and only the music. 
Um, but obituary, yeah. I just missed it for some reason. And I, of course, I remembered uh, I Don't Care from World Demise. I think that was the album that that was from. I remembered that, of course. But outside of that, I really, you know, chopped in half. They reminded me a lot of Celtic Frost. And I was, mm. I'm, I'm a massive fan of Celtic Frost. And part of me thinks, so. My, the way I think is, why would I listen to Slayer if I can listen to Deicide? And why would I listen to Obituary if I can listen to Celtic Frost? Now, that's probably not not the way everybody else thinks, but to your exact point a moment ago, there is so much music out there. How much time in the day have you got? Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, I, I've got all of the Deicide albums that he performed on on vinyl, and I've also got Executioner's Return from Obituary on vinyl. That's not too bad, actually. I put that on from time to time. And there's Darkest Day from 2009, which a guy in Italy... Last time I checked on eBay, I was selling that for about 150-odd bucks, the vinyl copy of that. So I'm just waiting for it to come back into print before I buy it again. And the, yeah. the EP, Left to Die, uh, which probably won't be on vinyl, I would imagine, uh, he performed on that as well from 2008. So there's a, few, there's a few things out there. I've got a few few things left to go before I complete my Ralph Santola collection. Um, but I think yeah. I'll, I'll get there, and, I, and I'm not. A, I don't like Ice Earth at all. I must say, I've had to be very objective with them when I'm doing reviews. But I'm not a massive power metal fan. It must be said. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm the same with you there. Really, I'm definitely more into the heavier side of things. Yeah, I, I've tried. God help me, I've tried with power metal back in the day. I got into Gamma Ray and Halloween, but then I went off it. And I've never gotten back into it since. I just find it a bit too widdly diddly and a bit too. I think I just find the vocal. It's all it occupies the treble space a bit too much. The mids and the trebles a bit too much, and it's not, it's not meaty enough. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely some good stuff out there, but I just yeah, like I don't hate it or anything. But I just any any time I want to put some music on, I just don't really find myself putting on much um, power metal like you know I've never been a huge Iron Maiden fan whilst like I respect them and I still love listening to them I just don't don't really find myself putting them on that often yeah um, I, I had a really good I have so many conversations with artists these days you've probably seen all the, the podcast episodes that I do but one of the one of the ones conversations I had was with a, a young fella from Norway from a band called The Spirit who were very similar to Dissection really good artist great band and the 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 issue that I have in 2018, and it's really pertinent given who we've seen who's headlining download. Is it download? Yeah, the download festivals in Sydney and Melbourne next year. So it reads like a goddamn who's who who was popular in the 80s. And my point is, is that when the hell are these guys going to retire? And I'm 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 I know it sounds like I'm not paying the respect that is due to these artists like Ozzy and Slayer and Judas Priest. Enough already? I I've, yeah. I grew up listening to Aussie, and I'm done. I can tell you that. And I, I've I don't know how much money I've spent on Aussie. I went to his first solo Australian show, which is in 1997 or 1998, and it was pretty good. And then I went to his other one in 2008, and he wasn't very good at all then. He's just done. He's cooked. Mm. He's cactus. But he's still out on the road performing. And I've had a conversation with Zach Wild, who's a wonderful dude, really good guy, great guitarist. But it's these bands like. Uh, this young fella from Norway in the spirit that I want to see some of that stuff getting put onto main stage now. 
and you guys. I want to see this. Then I want to see Malkira. I want to see the spirit. That's me. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm entitled to my opinion, and that's where it's where I'm at. I, I'm main stage being occupied by the Judas Priest. It's like, for God's sakes, really? I mean, what a 17 year olds getting into Judas Priest? For God's sakes, Judas Priest are even before my time, technically. I know metal is universal, but half of the band is gone. They're either retired or they've left. So you've got Andy, yeah. Andy Sneap on, on guitar, who's an excellent producer, by the way, and the work he did with Hell and when he's performing in Hell, and a lot of the work he's done is outstanding. Richie Faulkner, who was in Steve Harris's daughter's band, is now the guitarist who's taken over from KK Downing. He's been doing it now for a couple of years. Um, you can never hear Ian Hill, so there's no point talking about his contribution. I know he does a lot behind the scenes, but you know what I'm saying on the bass in, in uh, Judas Priest. It's not really there. I, I actually have never seen Judas Priest, and I've got to tell you, mate, I've got no desire to do so. I've got no yeah. desire. Yeah, you... Sorry, you go. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was just like, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. Like, um, yeah, it's just kind of annoying how all these, like, heritage bands are all still headlining the main stages. And, yeah, part of me has mentioned this to people before. Like, I can't, I actually can't wait for them to all be. So then we've got, you know, new bands to root for. And um, I, I don't know how you feel about um, Ghost, because uh, I know they divide divide a lot of people. But for me personally, like, I'm, I absolutely love Ghost. I have since, like, the first album. I'm with you. And to me, they're just yep. a band. Yeah. They're, they're a band to root for now. Like, I don't want to go rooting for Judas Priest. So I'm not I'm not even particularly into that um, style or anything. Like, I want a band to grow up with to, you know, that I, that was big in my day. Not the band that was big in, like, decades ago that... Um, yeah, it's it's like. just we we I, I don't I don't get it. It's like when fucking Limp Biscuit were on bloody the um last year's this year's download, like the last download. It's like and Corn were headlining. It's like for fuck's sake, is this a reflection yeah. on the Australian crowds? That someone actually explained to me who does know quite a bit about this, someone from Unified or whatever you know one of those promoting agency type things explained to me. Yes, they they have to put these bands on because when they for lack of a better description, when they do their market research and when they get their uh, poll numbers from the internet or so, these are the bands that young kids and punters turn up to watch. Now, I tested that theory when I was down on download because I did a review for that for Metal Obsession. And I was asking, I deliberately asked people who A, didn't look like they were into metal and B, were young. So 15 and 16-year-olds. Now, apart from looking like a crazy middle-aged guy asking them questions and not trying to appear like a weirdo or something. It was like, you know, I explained who I was. I'm from Metal Obsession. I'm just asking you a question because I'm legitimately after your feedback here. What do you think? And they were digging it, man. They were getting right into corn and Limp biscuit, And I'm like, well, what did you think of the Vice and Men? Hey, they're cool. You're getting to them. And I, yeah, oh, yeah, we, we'd kind of heard of them before. Yeah, kind of. It's like, Jeez, man, it's you got to have heroes for your time. When I was when I was a young fella, it was uh, it was Megadeth and Faith No More, and uh, grunge was big, of course. But I didn't really get into grunge because I was into the heavier sounds. I appreciated a lot of the bands, but Primus, I love Primus, you know these sort of things. But I, I find it, I find it a bit. I I, I just I I don't. I think that a keep in mind that I'm asking somebody to put their, not my money, but their money down for this one here, but how about parking Aussie, Slayer, Judas Priest, putting Ghost up the top, why don't you put Amity Affliction, who I know are on the bill, the download bill next, 
or, or Parkway Drive underneath them, and then Amity Affliction underneath them, and then then you've got your Mice and Mice and Men, and I know we came as Romans can't do it anymore. They might regroup, but unfortunately, the singer passed away only recently. But their Power Trip, there's another great band. Um, King Parrot, they're a good band. I know they're on the last one. Arch Enemy, I know they're on the last one, but there's another really good one that aren't really a legacy act. They're still very vital because Elise is such a engaging front woman. Um, but how yeah. about a festival loaded with these? I'm not going to call them young guns, but they're of this generation. How about doing that? And I'm mm. sure I'm sure that there's a European festival or there's you know there's a US festival where they do that, but we we're not really getting them here. I'm 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 completely. I've got to share this with you. I'm completely done with Metallica. I I mm. I saw that their tour was coming up with Megadeth and Anthrax, and I don't know, man. I saw them in 2010, and it wasn't it was shit. And before anybody yeah. says, well, if you could you better, yes, I'm a working musician. I've played some pretty shitty gigs myself, but I just, you know, I'm not saying that they were bad performers, but how many times can someone hear Battery or Master of Puppets before they're done, before they want to branch yeah. out and start listening to... I get, I reckon I get 10 new albums a week, more, 10 new albums a week or more to listen to. So just going through a bit of a roll call about some of these bands that I've got just... Just today, okay, so uh, Northward, I've got no idea where they're from. Uh, Fifth Angel, they're a power metal style thing. There's a band, bizarrely, called Commonwealth. This is all a nuclear blast, by the way. Um, I listened to the new Tom, Tom Morello stuff. I didn't like that at all. It just sounds like a hippo farting in a bathtub, really. Um, there's uh, there's heaps of new material. Behemoth, actually, they're on the list. They're on, they're on the bill, which I think is a great thing. Um, mm. Behemoth and Nabil Sky Harbour, a band from India, mate. That's uh, having spoken to Keshav from that band, what they're doing is tremendous prog metal style stuff in the vein of Tesseract. Well, it's a bit different to Tesseract. I made that point of saying I felt it was a bit different, but more like Carnival or a lot of that stuff that came out of Western Australia, say 10 years ago. Um, even Otep, um, Monty Pittman, the guitarist for Madonna, who does a lot of metal stuff. Uh, there, there are so many wonderful artists that are out there that I wouldn't consider legacy acts that are worthwhile introducing to people. These people who put on these shows, they know what they're doing. I get they know what they're doing, so it's no criticism of them, but it's really more aimed at the fans, to be honest with you. It's more like to the fans, do you really want to keep listening? How many times can you listen to Judas Priest perform Painkiller? I mean, Rob can't even sing that song anymore. I've seen the videos. Yeah. He's not really singing it. He's kind of, he's not mumbling through it. He's he's, he's sober or what have you. But his his voice is he's sixty five or whatever he is. It's completely understandable that it's beyond him to sing it these days. But um, yeah, it's like when I was at the Aussie gig in two thousand and eight, and they played Paranoid Last, and it got the biggest cheer by about four times compared to any other song. And I got really disappointed. I got really disappointed in the crowd for doing it because it's like fucking paranoid. The song at the time was 30 or 40 years old or what have you. It's 50 years old now. Um, aren't there other things for people to get into? Of course there are. Is, you know, it's my question. Of course there are. And it's, it's, it's about time that, uh, that the Malkiras and the, the Spirits and uh, all the, any of the other bands that I've just mentioned... Behemoth, I know, are getting there, um, that are given an opportunity in front of a broader audience. So I just wonder what it's going to take for fans to get off their uh, their legacy trip and start hooking into some of this newer stuff. Yeah, I guess it's um, 
I guess it's partially uh, the older generations as well that you know that are maybe you know still supporting these uh, older bands, and then I guess the young ones aren't really maybe they're, they're just not you know looking for bands like like the older generations. I guess like but, you know times have changed as well. Like back then, there were only so many bands I guess you could actually choose from. Like back in the nineties and the eighties, you didn't have like Spotify and streaming services and a, and a million and one record labels at the the tip of your fingers through the internet that you could check out a you know a thousand different bands and a thousand different genres you just had probably you know a few different magazines to choose from to flip through so everyone ended up getting into the same bands and then those bands got bigger and then more well known whereas now it's just just totally flooded so it's like everyone's just i don't know it's just uh just so many bands and oh, no. I guess pe- people aren't you know, rooting for newer bands like they used to. Like, I know Parkway Drive is doing extremely well, which is awesome. Um, apparently one of my mates told me that they uh, they outsold uh, ACDC and the Wiggles um, like this year or last year in terms of like, you know, sales. Is that right? Like, performance revenue. Wow. Yeah, okay. Jesus. Know, the, yeah. Yeah, I know. They're doing really well. They're, you know, they're headlining all those big European festivals like Parkway Driver, literally smashing it. So there, are, there are bands like that. Um, but um, but yeah, when you see Download, you know, and Ghost, Ghost to me, yeah, that they're like in this day and age, they are the they are the big band. Like they're they're our generations. Like to me, they're like the our generations Iron Maiden or like you know. Um, I don't know, just they're just the big metal band of the 2010s to me. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I love yeah. them. I agree totally. They're yeah. the they're they're the um, they're the they're the foremost representative of mainstream heavy metal in 2018. In terms of if you think about heavy metal in 2018 or of this era, you really have to think of Ghost because I can't really think of anybody else. Yeah, sure, Parkway. But Parkway are a bit different. They've got a few other things going on in there. And a lot of non-metal fans do listen to Parkway. A lot of extreme sports people, for example, they seem to have that vibe, don't they, Parkway? And they're just from down the road again. They're just from down the road here in Byron Bay. Um, they're from Ewingsdale. And, and, and I, I know a fellow who used to do a lot of agency work for them and promoting for them, David Dean at Nambour there. And he, he rates them very highly as human beings. He says they're really down-to-earth guys, really got their shit together, and they're just, they're just good guys to hang around with. Um, and and I suppose that would account for a lot of their success as well. They've taken their opportunities and they haven't blown them. And and maybe it does come down to that too. Maybe it just comes down to they've been doing their thing for a long time. They've played in front of five people in 2004, as we've all done. Um, but they've just somehow... that It'd be fascinating. I'd love to have a chat to them, and I have asked to have a chat to them, but it's hard to get through to managers and agents. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd love to understand what their journey to success look like because they're the one band, not just in Australia, but globally, alongside of Ghost, that are doing it. So they are going against the grain and they are the one new band, in inverted commas, that is up there alongside of, if not ahead of Slayer and Judas Priest. And they are commanding centre stage at, say, 9 or 10 p.m. at these European festivals ahead of these legacy acts. And I'd love to know how they've done it. It'd be a fascinating story. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. I know there is a few Parkway docu- documentaries out there where you can sort of you can you can watch their um, 
watch their story and go from you know playing shows up and down the east coast of Australia to you know not many people at high schools or whatever. And then I know I know that they did it pretty hard on their first tour in America. They were like sleeping on some pretty rough floors, um, and I guess that helped break them into that market a bit. I know I know um, I know clowns. I know a few of the guys in that band. Okay. And, yep. Um, their old their old bass player who's not with them anymore, but I know he was a founding member and, and helped help build them to where they are now. But um, I know that their first their first ever overseas tour was to Southeast Asia, and that was a pretty extremely rough rough tour there. They went to China as well and doing it pretty um pretty you know on the nose kind of thing. And then and then they went to America as well, and they did it extremely rough there. They pretty much booked the whole thing themselves. But um, doing those two things just opened all these doors up for them, and now they're playing at Vark, and um, they just played there earlier this year, and they played at Download, Australia's Download as well. Um, so I guess it's just you know that's a, that's a band that's just worked extremely hard to get to where they are, and um, I guess that's that's part of the shtick and how you, how you get places just. Got to, got to work hard. Yeah, just got to work hard. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, not what you know, it's who you know as well. So if you can somehow tap into Sharon Osbourne or someone as influential influential as her, and uh, is it uh, Ronnie James Dio's ex-wife, Wendy Dio? I think she has a lot lot to do with the with bands that are able to be successful and otherwise. I just wonder how it's done. I really do because nobody's ever been able to. I know it's not a formula, but uh, a lot of bands. A lot of bands sort of get to there or thereabouts, and then they don't sort of kick on, or they either disappear. And there's a lot of worthwhile music out there that I think, if the average, when I say the average, I know there's such no such thing as that, but I think if a 16 year old who has Metallica and Slayer, which I, I just remember thinking when I was a, when I was that age, and I had Metallica and Slayer in my CD collection, I remember thinking to myself, and I remember having this thought: this music won't be around in 20 years' time. Yet this is the shit that's still headlining festivals far more so now than it ever was when I was a kid. It's actually more prominent, if not more popular now, than it was when I was growing up. You know that? So I remember Seasons in the Abyss. I remember when that shit came out. I remember when Countdown to Extinction came out uh, and Angel Dust by Faith No More. I remember when these records came out and... They, yeah, they had, they popped. They were popular, you know, amongst rock and metal fans. But it's it's nowadays uh, another another example is Corn, uh, who I follow on social media. Follow the leader. I bought that when it came out, and I didn't think it was that good. I thought the first three songs were great, but then after that, it was just filler. Uh, they're celebrating that at the twentieth anniversary of that, and I don't know whether they're doing a tour or they're doing some shows, but it looks that way. I haven't deep dived into it. I've just sort of scrolled past it, but there must be a lot of interest out there by fans, and a lot of these fans weren't around when the album came out to actually get into the anniversary of, of an album that they consider a classic, when in my view, it's anything but. It's actually a really poor album that has three good songs at the beginning. Great production, by the way, by Toby Wright, but it's fucking not a classic album as far as I'm concerned, but it's being pitched that way. It's being pitched that way, and it's it's just must it must just actually, I suppose I'm answering my own question in one respect, it's just marketing. It's perception. That's all it is. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. There's a lot of perception and, and marketing behind it because it's yeah, thrown around as this big, big grand thing. It's just assumed that it is. And then even if you haven't heard it, then you might go start listening to it. And then because apparently it's supposed to be so good, you just start buying into that. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that going. That's that's actually what it is now that I think about it. It's this marketing machine kicking into gear online, obviously through social media saying, let's just pick on Corn again. Corn, 20th anniversary of Follow the Leader, get into the classic album and watch the band perform it in full. If, I'm not saying that's what they're doing, I don't know, but that's what it looks to me like they might be doing. Um, and, geez, like they're... they're I, there must be a lot of people that have bought into that. And look, it could have become a classic album without me realising it, but I, I don't think so. I haven't really heard anybody... Shit, I've spoken to a lot of musicians and I've spoken to a lot of young musicians, it must be said too, and I have never heard Corn be mentioned once. You know that? I've heard Pantera, I've heard Metallica, but I've never heard Corn once be mentioned as a band that inspired... I've heard Silverchair a lot, Daniel Johns. Uh, inspired a lot of young hands to pick up guitars in childhood. Um, but I've never heard Corn, and uh, sorry, I probably should stop picking on Corn. But the point stands, though. You know what I'm saying? They've just headlined download, for God's sakes. And I thought the performance was okay. And I actually wrote for Metal Obsession and said that it, it was an okay performance. But you're sort of familiar with the, the riffs, if not the songs, but it's. My point being is that you could have Parkway Drive up there or any one of these newer bands that are producing music that, in my view, is a bit more vital. Mm. That's my point, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And, um, um, yeah, what, one one small point I was going to bring up earlier was um, how, how do these bands get where they are. It's definitely a lot to do with who you know and um, and how hard you work, but... I think a lot of the time as well for a band, it's just the the personnel, like the the people that are in the band, are these four or five people actually willing to to like be musicians and, and um, do tour the world, and do they do they even want to do that? Because I think you know from what I've seen, like the guys in Clowns, those guys, those guys desperately wanted to do what they want to do, and it was four guys that were all willing to work extremely hard at what they were doing. Mm. Which helped them, helped them, you know, meet the right people and get them in the right places. But um, yeah, and then you look at some bands that just fell apart, and then you just wonder whether they just didn't. They either some people just didn't want to do it, or they just didn't get along, or yeah. Well, I think the getting along bit's the bloody hardest. I know that from being in bands myself. It's, I've got to say, it's. Uh, but it's like that with if you're working close confines with people. It's not just about bands. If you're working in close quarters with people and it's a passion project, it's inevitable that people are going to want their point of view to be heard at times and it's going to clash with other people. It just depends on the personality types, whether or not they can get through it. So uh, I've, I've had all sorts of people in bands that I've been in and had to work with all sorts of people and I, I know myself that there's a, there's a few character types that I, that, I, that I simply can't work with anymore. You know, the sulky, moody type, I know that I can't be in a band with. I, I cannot do it. So I don't care how good a musician somebody is. If they're a sulky, moody type who, who basically imposes the problems that they've got onto other people in the band and it has nothing to do with the band, I, it's, it's no point in saying I won't tolerate it. It's just that I can't be around it. So I generally will stop being a part of that project or 
I've only had one band myself and it was full of those people. And so I broke the band up because of that, frankly. I wasn't going to work with people and do a lot of hard work for people that I didn't feel were going to be pulling their own weight and God knows what dilemma they'd gotten themselves into when they turned up for a gig at the Coolangatta Hotel down here or something like that. But if they weren't ready to switch on and perform, I didn't want to know them. It was as simple as that because I think what we do is a privilege. It's not a right. And I've always felt that way. It's You've got to rehearse well. You've got to prepare well. Your gear's got to be up to scratch. You've got to be ready to look people in the eye when you're up on stage. You've got to fucking be ready to entertain them. And as soon as I work with people that aren't ready to do that and they're thinking of, you know, they're on their phone in between songs. Have you seen that with people? Uh, I'm just... Oh, pretty bad. Oh, I'm like, dude, or whoever, just, we're not doing this, but you're in the middle of the performance, so your show's got to go on, right? You just hope you can get through it without getting bad feedback because that's the... Uh, I play in covers, covers band, so... You'd think that it'd be easier if people had a guarantee of getting payment that they'd switch it, turn on and switch up, but that is not the case. It doesn't happen. Um, and it actually gets harder as people get older because there are a lot more complicating factors like rent payment or mortgage payments or more serious jobs, so career, wives, partners, and the big one, children. Children pull you right out of that yeah. because they might have gotten into a fight at school or they might have got a bad report card or... Some kids might be getting into some extracurricular activities that they shouldn't be getting into. And all of that stuff can serve to really pull you out of what you're doing. And at some level, you can completely understand it. But it doesn't help you <laughs> when you're trying to put on a performance. So you can be empathetic and you can sympathize. And in the past, I've been the guy to go and get somebody a beer if they've drunk, of course, and said, look, have a beer. Let's go and talk about it. What's going on? All right. No worries. Well, We've spoken about it now. You're ready to go? Yes or no? Generally speaking, yes. But some people, it doesn't matter what you do, you 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 can't help them. And you hear that with 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 serious bands all the time, big bands all the time. Like I understand, I could be wrong about this, so I don't want to misquote. But the guys in Motley Crue can't don't even when they were touring their last tour, they were on separate tour buses. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I think I did hear something about that. Well, I reckon that. It's only because they've got the money and the means to be able to do that that they could do that. But I reckon that situation would be replicated across many, many bands that are out there right now where members who can't stand each other. And uh, they basically keep up the facade because they're getting paid enough money to make it worthwhile to try and put up with somebody whilst they're on the road. And I was listening to Gary Holt, who's the excellent guitarist in Exodus, who's now filling in uh, for the long gone, or not long gone, but departed Jeff Hanneman. In Slayer, yeah. yeah. And he was saying that his best friends are still in Exodus. I was only listening to I think that podcast was recorded this year or last year. And uh, he was saying that his best friends are still in Exodus. That's fucking rare. That doesn't happen that often. Yeah, yeah that's um, that's pretty interesting. There's not, there's not too many bands you can look at that have the same lineup, you know, for decades. I know there's... I know there's a there's a few you can count on one hand. Um, like Lamb of God have been the same guy for same guys for like about twenty years now, I think. Hmm. Um, and um, and you two, same th four guys since day one. I think. I think you, I think you're right, but God, aren't aren't you two? You two are a very good example of what we're saying. My God, and I, look, I remember Uktung Baby, and I kind of want to go and see you two, but a lot of people seem to be flocking to their shows, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I really yeah, don't get the U two thing post post year two thousand. I, I really 
Actually, I kind of don't get the U2. I definitely don't get the U2 thing post Arctic Baby, which I thought that was a tremendous album, by the way. But um, after that, I just can't do it. Yeah, I've never, I've never really, um, I've never really looked at them too closely. It's never really sparked my interest too much. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's just interesting the personnel of a band. So it's hard, hard to maintain the same people. To you know, for them to gel together for you know extended periods of time. Hmm. Mate, I better let you go. We've been talking for almost an hour and a half. It's been a tremendous chat. So yeah. my, my final point: uh, are you, I'm happy with everything we've spoken about, mate. Believe me, I I don't engage with people on social media if they want to be silly. But if you're comfortable with everything we've spoken about, I'll just release the whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't mind. Um, yeah, that's fine. Um, I look, I I get. The interesting thing for me, mate, is that most of my listenership is actually in North America. Um, I, know, I know that because a platform that I've got tells me where people are listening from. Um, so hopefully, it leads to a bit of engagement from fans up there. I get a, I get about a hundred or so, hundred or so downloads of a podcast episode from there, and I don't know where it goes to after that. It gets spread on the internet as these things do. You know, you no doubt find that your music pops up in the most unusual places. Well, I see episodes of my podcast pop up in the most unusual places as well. Um, but I mean, my my hope, mate, is that people listen to it. They they get they get curious and they they want to come and either watch a show if they're in Australia or on the east coast, or uh, if they're overseas, mate, they reach out to you and they buy a CD or buy a T-shirt or something cool like that. Yeah, well, no, I hope so. Yeah, it's been um it's been a pleasure talking to you, and um yeah, it'd be fantastic if we can even just get a few people you know interested in our in our in our music. So um yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out to um. To, to speak to me and and um yeah it's been a really good chat that's been a pleasure mate and hopefully mate i'll get to that sunshine coast gig at Nooseville. you've been listening to the scars and guitars podcast series and syndicating for the a-list online my name's andrew mckay smith and that conversation of course featured myself and josh from the outstanding melbourne flamenco outfit malkira thank you so much for listening